only two weeks into the 2018 college football season, and Oklahoma's already iffy national championship hopes have taken a significant hit with Rodney Anderson sustaining a season-ending knee injury last Saturday against UCLA. On the show for Monday, I called Anderson's injury devastating to Oklahoma, and I certainly stand by that assertion. When going against the Alabamas, Georgias, and Ohio States of the world, you need to be able to match them in the talent department. Oklahoma is getting closer to that, but is still probably a couple monster recruiting classes away from making that happen. Where Oklahoma has held an advantage over these teams in recent seasons is the existence of an X-factor on the offensive side of the ball. Basically, that X-factor needs to be significantly better than everyone else on the other side of the ball and needs to touch the ball a significant amount of times in the game to affect it, i.e. a quarterback or a running back. Obviously, Oklahoma had Baker Mayfield for three seasons. He gave them a chance to beat literally anybody. These X-factor players are crucial if you're going to beat one of these teams that loads up on five stars and has top 100 future NFL studs playing in mop-up duty at the end of games. Recent history suggests this. Let's look specifically at Alabama under Nick Saban. Because let's be honest, they've been the deepest, best team in college football, top to bottom, every year since 2009. Yes, including the years in which they didn't win the national title. And if Oklahoma wants to win a title this year, they will have to beat Alabama. Period. Where has Bama struggled? When they are actually defeated, what does it? Exactly those X-Factor types showing up in big spots. Cam Newton in 2010... Johnny Manziel in 2012, Ezekiel Elliott carried Ohio State past Alabama in the playoff semifinals in 2014, with help alongside Cardale Jones, who is doing his best Trevor Knight Sugar Bowl impersonation. Deshaun Watson also terrorized Alabama for two consecutive seasons, but he only won once. Point being, Rodney Anderson was that guy this year for Oklahoma. Don't get me wrong, the talent level on this team has, has improved greatly and is probably a top 10 roster in the country based solely on talent. However, the three teams I mentioned earlier are on a completely different level. Oklahoma needed all of the built-in advantages it could get. If we're being honest, the national title hopes this season rested on the hope that the defense would show significant improvement coupled with Oklahoma's ability to overwhelm you with Rodney Anderson, Hollywood, and CeeDee Lamb. Make no mistake, Rodney Anderson is the most complete, best running back in the country. He's elite in every sense of the word, and he was essential to the long-term prospects of this team. You need players like Rodney Anderson to win a championship. You need the players that those other programs wish they had, and that is Rodney Anderson. In my estimation, three things will now have to happen for OU to have a chance at a national championship this season. Number one, the defense will now need to be an elite unit rather than merely good. By elite, I mean it needs to be at worst a top 15 unit in the country and needs to be elite in some phase of defense. Starting the season with 21 tackles for loss is a wonderful start in that regard. Number two, a home run threat will need to emerge from the group of running backs remaining after Rodney. Sermon is a really good back, but not quite as explosive as you would like you know, for the lead back to be uh, in an offense like Oklahoma's. TJ Pledger seems like a decent bet maybe to be that guy as the season progresses, as long as he gets more carries. Number three, Kyler Murray will need to replace Rodney as the X-factor on this offense. 
I'm talking about a Johnny Manziel-like influence on the offense. That's how good he will need to be. Good thing is, I believe this week at Iowa State will be a good barometer to see if those things can materialize as the season goes on. Iowa State still plays very sound defense, and they have a really solid defensive front. Couple that with an early kickoff on the road, and these certainly aren't ideal circumstances. Sounds like a perfect early season test. If the Sooners come out roaring and blow the doors off the Cyclones, they may have what it takes to keep this thing chugging along without Rodney. Only time will tell. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Mayfield. Keep it. First down. And tiptoes into the end zone. Baker Mayfield. Hey, Ben Lieber, I'm dating myself. That was the old Flintstones move with the, with the tiptoe into the end zone, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. <laughs> The one and only Baker Mayfield welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Mayfield's 13-yard touchdown scamper put the Sooners up 24-10 over Iowa State in the second quarter last season. At that point of the game, it looked like OU would continue to roll over the Cyclones. Then all hell broke loose, and Iowa State ended up knocking off the Sooners 38-31. I'm sure all of you remember the game like it was yesterday. This Saturday, OU gets a chance at Revenge. We'll get you primed for that matchup today here on the podcast. Hey, everyone. I am Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back here in a moment. And I got to tell you, it already feels like this college football season is flying by. We're into week three now. And come on, man. I'm trying my best to soak it all in and appreciate it here while, while it is here. But it's just going way too fast right now. I'll see if Grant feels the same way I do in a second. First, I want to remind you that if you have not already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Also, if you've got a moment, please leave us a rating and or a review. Your feedback is much appreciated, and it helps us continue to produce quality content for you all. We'd also encourage you to like the show on Facebook. A lot of you are on the internet. A lot of you are on Facebook already. Might as well go on to the Facebook app right now on your phone while you're listening to West of Everest and find the West of Everest page and give it a like. We post updates to the show on Facebook as well as go live for the opening take. Uh, Now as the season gets here, though, I've got limited timing windows to record the podcast, so on occasion we will not be able to go live for the opening take. Just wanted to let you all know that, but we do hope to do it as much as possible. If you're on Twitter, you can follow Grant and I there as well. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25 at Grant Benson 25. And if you are old school and like email, hit us up there on Gmail. The address is westofeverest at gmail.com. Okay, so let's talk some football. Grant, we'll bring him back now. And are you like me? Do you think the season is already flying by too fast? Well, I haven't thought about it like that until you mentioned it, so thanks. Uh, but yeah, now that you mention it, it's pretty it's crazy. I mean, we spend, what is it, eight months just waiting for the season to start, and it's already week three. It's crazy. Before we know it, September is going to be over already. But I think they play five games in September this year, so that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, by the time September is over, yeah, five games will be will be gone, and I think we'll know a lot about this Oklahoma team at the end of this month, and especially now with Rodney Anderson being out. 
And um, now that we know for certain that Anderson is out, the last time we recorded, we recorded on Sunday night before the official news dropped. And so we speculated. And at the time, most people assumed he was out. I was trying to stay positive with it, but uh, that positivity didn't go anywhere because about an hour after we got, got done recording the show, the official news came out from Oklahoma that Rodney Anderson will miss the rest of the year because of a knee injury. You know, I'm getting the sense from Lincoln Riley after listening to his news conference on Monday that he believes the offense will be just fine without Anderson because Riley's got confidence. And like, as you said, I guess a moment ago, because Riley's got confidence in his team and also just confidence in general in that Oklahoma offense. You know, sure, Anderson is Oklahoma's best running back. But listening to Riley's presser again, I his tone, his tone to me is such that he thinks the other running backs in the in on this team will be able to step in and also play pretty well and I share his sentiments at this point I I really do until I see Oklahoma's offense take an obvious step back in game action and and we're watching a moment or a play and we're thinking man Rodney really would have made a difference on that run or on that play right there I'm going to bring an optimistic outlook towards this Sooners offensive unit I I really am I it's because the thing is with running backs is yeah, they're important, but they're not as important as quarterbacks. And Oklahoma's quarterback is still healthy and just fine. So as long as the quarterback is there, I, I'm so confident in that running back room. And now, like last season, uh, somebody's going to have to step up. And uh, listening again to, to Riley's presser on Monday, he said something that was kind of interesting to me. And I kind of thought about it for a second. I thought, wow, that's – yeah, he's right about that. He said that the running back situation now at Oklahoma is basically – the same thing or very similar to last season and preseason before they knew about all the guys they had whenever they were saying, yeah, they're all pretty good. We'll play them all. And so now with Rodney out, it's kind of just like, well, we got a bunch of good players and Oklahoma's going to keep feeding different guys the ball and just see what happens. So I'm kind of excited, uh, you know, excited, not, not excited, obviously, that Anderson's done. But in a way, excited to see how this plays out and see which running backs do step up in his absence. So um, are you encouraged at all by the fact that that Riley did reference last year and said, well, I kind of feel like things are similar to how we were at the start of last season. And um, now me just editorializing that ended up working out pretty well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, the offense isn't going to fall off of a cliff. The offense is still going to be excellent. It's just you're. By saying that, I really think you're you're vastly underrating Rodney Anderson and and his ability uh, to you know to be a dynamic player and to create something out of nothing. Um, Rodney Anderson is the best player on the team, and he's out for the season. That that hurts, no matter how you know how you cut it. So um, and Rodney Anderson also received three carries and one catch in Oklahoma's thirty-one sixteen road drubbing of Ohio State last year. They beat Ohio State without him. Yeah, but they also the had part. they had Baker Mayfield in that game too. Uh, that's that's why they won that game. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, sure, that that's a good point. And yeah, I mean, this is they they don't have chopped liver behind them, and they have they have four really good players behind him. And I, I mean, they're still going to be more than adequate at the position. They're they're still going to be very good at the position. Uh, it's just you know when you I, when I say Rodney Anderson is the is the best most complete running back in the country, I, I mean it. They they just lost the best running back in the country, and that is incredibly significant. Yeah, and you know I agree with you. You know how I feel about Rodney Anderson. I agree. I think he's the best running back in the country. I guess when it comes down to it, for me, I'm 
one of my principles in football in general is that running backs are mostly a dime a dozen. You can find them anywhere, especially in college. And sure, when a guy's elite like Rodney Anderson, that is significant. He is a difference maker. I'm not going to shortchange him because I do think that when he is able to get healthy and come back, somebody's going to take a shot at him. Uh, whether or not it's it's next year at Oklahoma if he comes back or he goes to the NFL and that was a question posed to Lincoln Riley on Monday and and you know it's way too early to tell there obviously what he's going to do he's a very good player but when it comes down to it I you know when Oklahoma has a good quarterback and their starting quarterback is fine and and Link and Kyler Murray has has shown that he's pretty darn good I'm not gonna get as worried whenever a running back goes down as I would if a quarterback went down and uh, or I mean, honestly, for that matter, if like a if like a real important like offensive lineman went down, I mean, like if a Bobby Evans went down or uh, no, or, you're 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 vastly, vastly underrating Rodney Anderson. Um, no, the, the, I don't the, think the, I am. The, I don't this, think I am. The, I, I think the, you're this is the a, Oklahoma offense is going to be fine. Well, no, I mean, no, him. I'm I, I, I'm I, I, I agree that the offense is going to be fine. You're just your your rhetoric is just a little hyperbolic. That's all. That's that's what I'm calling you out on, especially the. I, I understand what you're saying about the dime a dozen thing with the running backs, but this isn't the NFL. And also even in the NFL, they're, they're proving that even those those dudes, the guys who are better than everyone else, there's a material difference in them. Like I'm talking about the Todd Gurleys of the world and, Al, and Alvin Kamara. You, you don't think there's a difference between them and, I, I don't know, who's Peyton Barber of Tampa Bay? You don't think there's a difference between them? Um, so, and, and especially in college, um, a guy like Rodney Anderson, who is so much better than everyone else, that makes just that makes a huge, huge difference. And and I I, I agree that um, their offense is still going to be great. It's still going to be a, a very good to great offense. Uh, but I, Rodney Anderson was one of the reasons why we felt optimistic about their chances to win a national championship this year because he is just so much better than everyone else. He he was one of the reasons why. And now you're taking that equation away from them, and that's significant. There's they 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 have a good running back room behind him, but none of those guys are Rodney Anderson. Well, we'll watch. We'll watch Iowa State, and I know it's just one game. We'll see if there's any moments in the game where we think Rodney really would have made a difference in that game, and we'll be thinking about that as the season progresses. One thing that you can't really quantify that I'm not so sure how to measure at this point, and it was brought up a little bit too during the press conference on Monday, is Anderson's leadership abilities on the field. Lincoln Riley made a point to say that he's not going anywhere. He's with the team. He he even kind of joked around, like he's not, he's still alive. He's still going to be around. He's just not going to go out on the field. How much is that going to, the fact that he's not going to be on the field, but still be around as a leader, that's something that you, we don't know how to measure. And I guess there's, there's never going to be a way to, to figure out how, how much of a hit, hit uh, the running back room of the team takes in that respect. So that could be a, a spot where I am. I am vastly underrating him, I would admit. So I guess, again, there's no way to measure that, but we'll maybe find out yeah. as uh, time goes well, on. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how the team reacts. I, we'll see how the team reacts. I think that's that's the best way we can, uh, you know, the best way we can handle this right now. And, and you know, we're, we, we still haven't seen that X factor of Kyler Murray. You know, he that, that's a guy who, you know, who, who really is going to have to take the reins off at some point in time now uh, because – you know that's that's one bullet in the chamber that you know they took away from, from OU's offense right there, and so you know someone's gonna have to fill that void. And and like I said, I'm not, not I'm not sure any of the the four guys they have back there right now, you know, in the running back room are are capable of doing that. I think Kyler Murray may be capable of doing that. 
Obviously, losing Rodney is uh, not great for the Oklahoma offense. But uh, I have this question on the rundown, and I know what I'm going to say, so I'm curious to see what you're going to say. Let's do our, our best to play the role of extreme Oklahoma sunshine pumper for a second. Give me a silver lining of Anderson going down for the rest of the year. Oh, you really want me to be like an extreme sunshine pumper? Yeah, give me a give me a make this make this positive. Make spin it around for me. Spin uh, it for me. Yeah, Rodney Anderson gets hurt, paving the way for TJ Pleasure to have an amazing freshman All American season. <laughs> See, I think TJ Pleasure and Kennedy Brooks are two guys that are going to look really good. Now they're going to get more touches. Yeah, and I know I know people are down on Trey Sermon just because he didn't just he just really didn't look right on Saturday against UCLA. But, you know, I mean, you they know, were stacking the bot. I mean, they were going to let anybody run. They were going to let Rodney run. Yeah, so. yeah. But that's, I mean, that's the thing. Rod, Rodney would have created something out of those runs just because he's Rodney. Um, well, he, he didn't up until. I mean, that was the first quarter. But I mean, he hadn't up to that point. I mean, did you see, did you see the yards he was, he did gain. And he fought for all nineteen of the yards that he gained. There wasn't a whole lot of room to run down there. But no, I mean, there's, they, there's still, I, like I said, you know, people, people forget, you know, how, how good of a player Trey Sermon is, and 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 how well rounded he is. He just, he's a really solid player. Um, I, I said at the beginning of the season, he's every bit of the player as Samaj P. Ryan, and he is, he is, he, he's gonna, as, as an all around player, he is. Um, so we'll we'll see if he can step up to the plate, you know, for for a baseball analogy there, and we'll see if he can if we'll see if he can step up and help the team. I I think I, I think it's possible that he can, uh, because he he's a really good player. But we'll we'll see. He just he does not really have you know the oomph that Rodney does. I I think everyone would agree with that. Had a lot of oomph in those Baylor and Oklahoma State games last year, and he was closing them out he on did. the ground. He did, <laughs> and even uh, and Ohio State as well. Uh, my silver lining for this is that if this is going to happen, it's good that it's happening this early in the season. So Oklahoma is not going to get blindsided in like November, whenever they're just rolling and all of a sudden they got to figure out how to play without their best running back. Good now take. at least it, it's, it's, it's happening this time. So they're going to figure out how to, how to, I guess they're, it's so close to the preseason. Yeah. Two games are behind their belt, but like Lincoln Riley said, it's back to how it was in August of 2017 where they thought they had a lot of good players and now they're going to figure out who's going to take the lead. And now they got a lot of good players. So only, you know, the best one's not available, but now who's going to take the lead? And hopefully Oklahoma will go ahead and figure it out and then get back into a role. And obviously, again, we can't overstate it enough I, and out of respect for Rodney Anderson because – He's a great player, and also he's a great dude. He's a real nice guy. He's real cool with the media. He just—he's very soft-spoken. He—he just—you want him to do well, but it's like, okay, Oklahoma's got to move past this, and hopefully, uh, you're not going to replace him. But the the efficiency and the numbers—they got to come from somewhere, and it happened this early in the year. That's that's a positive if you're going to find anything out of this negative story. I think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's also funny we went through that entire uh, discussion without even mentioning Marcellus Sutton, the one guy we didn't mention. Well, and there's a reason why. I mean, I've gone from the the biggest Marcellus Sutton guy, and I love the guy. I just I've seen him enough on film now. He just doesn't have a whole lot of juice to me. He just doesn't. He he doesn't really have. A, he's not particularly fast. Uh, I don't know about his vision either. He had a really nice touchdown run against UCLA. Don't get me wrong. Very strong. He's he's a strong dude. He's tough to tackle. I'll give him that. He's very low to the ground. I just I 
he, he he's not as electric to me as I thought he initially was. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he now gets more of a role and he plays very well. Because, again, he's a really nice guy, too. I talked to him after the game. He was really broken up about Rodney Anderson. Uh, he's such a hard worker. He He's he, you know junior college transfer, four-star recruit. It's just from what I've seen, that's that's why I haven't mentioned him is just because I, I don't know if he's the guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair, but, you know, he's – He's probably gotten the most run out of any of those other guys. Like, I mean, he's he's gotten the most carries out of everyone, I think. He should be the one that knows the offense the most out of all of them, him and Trey Sermon. So he's he's rightfully going to get that crack. And, I mean, he was the number three guy behind Sermon and Rodney. And that was one of the positions that Lincoln Riley had no problem saying before the depth charts were released had already been settled was, yeah, he's the, he's the third guy and he's earned that right. So... He's been do- he did something well in August, and he's done enough well to get carries here in the first two games of the season, and hopefully Marcellius Sutton continues to play strong, solid football. Want to move on to Iowa State, Grant? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we'll start with our OU-Iowa State prediction, as we always do on these, uh, these prediction, not prediction, these preview shows. We'll make a prediction later. We'll start with the Iowa State offense against the Oklahoma defense and it makes sense to begin with the quarterback situation for the Cyclones and for the third straight game in a row the Sooners do not know which quarterback they will be facing in their upcoming game starter for Iowa State Kyle Kempt injured his knee late in the third quarter of Iowa State's loss to Iowa on Saturday Zeb Nolan came in and played the rest of the game I believe Nolan got three series of action in the fourth quarter on Monday Cyclones head coach Matt Campbell said that Kempt is day-to-day but his availability for Saturday is up in the air Grant who would you rather see Iowa State start on Saturday I kind of waffled back and forth on this one but I I I decided that it's it's I'd rather see Zeb Noland he's he's the backup Uh, of course I'd rather see the backup Kempt you know already beat OU once it's kind of crazy for me to think We'd rather see Kyle Kempt, but there, there was there was a part of my brain, Lee, that was thinking I'd rather see Kempt, uh, just because, man, he did. I don't think he threw the ball ten yards past the line of scrimmage against Iowa once. Yeah, he never challenged Iowa down the field. In fact, I watched that Iowa Iowa State game. I I don't think Iowa State. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know if they ever threw the ball down the field. I'm looking at their the box score. The longest pass play that Iowa State was able to uh, accumulate was from Deshante Jones on its very first drive, a 31-yard play. And a lot of that, that was, was after the catch. Yeah, it was a screen pass. It was, it was a nice, like, no, it wasn't a screen pass. Wasn't it was it? like a, what, was it a screen or was it like a, a I think it was a drag route. Oh, Maybe it was, it was a screen. It might have been it, a drag. He, it, it was, he only threw it like 10 or 15 yards down the field and, and uh, Jones ran the rest of the way. Other than that, uh, Hakeem Butler had a 23-yard pass play, and I can't even remember when that happened. I think that honestly. was – I do. That was with Zeb Nolan, though. That's right, down the middle of the field. Yep. So I, uh, that, I'm that i with you. I, I think I'd rather see Nolan as well because, one, he's kind of green, hasn't had a whole lot of experience. I don't think he's as, he's as good of a thrower as – Kyle Kempt and you think well Kyle Kempt I mean if he plays like that'd be nice right to to go against Iowa State starting quarterback if he's got a bum knee it it sounds like it was a MCL issue I think with Kyle Kempt that's why he's day-to-day but the thing is with Kempt is against Oklahoma last season just watching him the rest of the year in 2017 he's not a guy that uses his legs anyways it's not like he's a a guy who scrambles a lot so even if he's kind of hobbled 
it doesn't really change the way he plays the game, I don't think. I think he stands back there. He's a statue. He, he gets the ball out of his hands very quickly, and that's probably another reason why they don't throw the ball down the field a whole lot with Kyle Kempt. But uh, it, was, uh, it was tough going for him against Iowa on, uh, on Saturday, but I think I'd rather go with Nolan just because of, uh, his, again, just he hasn't had as much experience. And Kempt already knows what it's like or knows how to beat Oklahoma. He did it last year in Norman. I, that guy was like a stone cold killer in 2017. I think you mentioned in our podcast after the game last year that Kyle Kemp to you looked like a guy that like he was dead because he just his blood pressure never rose. It was it was like low. I can't remember exactly how you described him, Grant, but I think you were exactly right about the way Kemp played last year. It was something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was the guy. The guy he showed a lot of poise, if nothing else, in that game last year. Um, yeah, and you know, Lee, I to go back to Zeb Noland. I think he has like. He he's got like he's got like four picks just written all over him. He seems like a guy who just is gonna who just loves <laughs> who just loves to turn the ball over uh, from watching him. And I I think he did I think he turned it over a bunch of times against Oklahoma State last year when he came on or when he came in when Kemp got hurt. I don't know, it, but yeah, I, I just I I think generally you should always want to play the backup, but I I. I I would say, you know, coming, you know, from watching them both play against Iowa, Zeb Nolan's got a little more arm talent than Kempt, I think. He, there's a little more yeah. zip. There's a little more zip yeah. when he throws it. Yeah, Kempt came in last year when uh I'm sorry, Nolan came in last year when Kemp was injured against Oklahoma State and actually played pretty well against the Cowboys in that game that the the Pokes only won by a touchdown. He completed 17 to 28 for 263. Had uh, didn't throw a touchdown pass. Had one interception, but uh, that's that's pretty good yardage. Sixty percent of his passes, and then he he played against Baylor the next week and was fourteen to twenty eight, two touchdowns, no picks. So he only he didn't yeah he only had one interception, and that came against Oklahoma State. And I believe that was uh, very at the very end of the game, and it sealed the game for the Cowboys in that one. It was in the end zone, I think. So uh, yeah, but he could be a player that I mean, just watching him against Iowa in that fourth quarter. I was kind of surprising that he didn't he didn't throw one. I mean, he had a he got rushed on the last you know the last series and turned the ball over. He lost a fumble that killed Iowa's Iowa State's chances of anything. So yeah, he's he's got a little more talent, but the fact that he's inexperienced, I think, would definitely help Oklahoma. So I'd rather see Nolan play. Let's talk about Iowa State's offense this season, and this is an Iowa State offense that scored thirty eight against Oklahoma last year. And the Cyclones have only played one game because their first game of the season ended up getting canceled because of weather. They played like I think Grant, you said they played a series, and it was it was over. Yeah, I was so, yeah, Iowa State scored yeah. on their first offensive play, and then uh, the game got called, or you know they got suspended, and then they canceled it. And so it ended up being so Iowa State had to wait another week to open up their season, and then they had to play against their rival Iowa. And, man, Iowa State only managed 188 total yards against the Hawkeyes and scored just three points. And those three points came on the very first drive of the game. So, for the most part, most of this game, Iowa State had three points and they couldn't do anything. Uh, the Cyclones averaged just 3.3 yards per play. And uh, that's not great. And you take away their opening drive, honestly. Take away Iowa State's opening drive where they went like 66 yards their whole rest of the game, they only accumulate like 120 yards of total offense. So this is bad. Anyways, Grant, the question I have for you now to get this discussion going is compared to Florida Atlantic and compared to UCLA, is this easily the worst offense Oklahoma will have faced so far? Uh, I That's hard to say. Um, 
UCLA's offense is pretty bad. I, people kind of, I mean, at least, and, and the, you know that the, the film we watched against Cincinnati, man, they were pretty bad. But I, I they did show some talent against OU last week. Um, I, I I still think overall FAU is probably out of these three going to have the best offense. You know, at the at the end of the season. But yeah, I, I I just I don't know Lee because they played one game. They played on the road in a rivalry game. They they did not play well. They looked they looked bad. They looked um they looked severely limited against Iowa. They 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 had the look of a team that was calling a lot of uh, very safe plays because they maybe were scared to push the ball downfield or or lack the ability to do so. W- would you agree? Yeah. It. I, I kind of tracked all their plays too and a lot of the same formations and they did a lot of the same stuff over and over again as as we maybe we'll get into a little bit later when we talk a little bit about what we saw on film from the offense and it, hopefully it's something that the Oklahoma defenders can see on tape because uh, man I mean there's they had a lot of tells to me uh, you know I'll just go right for example Anytime they would split out, uh, they would have double twins and go out of shotgun with David Montgomery in the backfield next to Kyle Kemp. Anytime they would do that, it would either be just a, a handoff to Montgomery, just off tackle or up the middle. So it's simple, like you're going to run the ball with Montgomery, or they dumped it off to Montgomery. Uh, he ran like an option route out of the backfield in the middle of the field, and he just kind of would decide which way he was going to go, left or right, whichever was open, and Kempt would just check down to him. And that happened more than once in the game when they were at a double twins and shotgun. That's a pretty easy tell. I didn't see anything else out of that. So it's almost like, okay, well, Oklahoma watches film. They can kind of guess, like, man, they're in double twins. They're probably either going to run it. If they don't run it, just key in on David Montgomery because they're going to throw it to him anyways. So yeah. that was one thing I saw on tape. Yeah, and you would think, right? I mean, if they had any sort of wrinkles, or at least, you know, they, they wouldn't, you know, completely limit their playbook for Iowa, their biggest rivalry game, right? Um, you wouldn't so, think so, no. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, Lee, I saw an offense that didn't have a lot of, you know, creativity, to be honest with you. In fact, they, they, they did a lot of what they did against OU last year, just a lot of swing routes and uh, a lot of a lot of jet sweep motions and um, just checkdowns, a lot of that. Um, also, just, you know, a lot of inside handoffs to David Montgomery as well. Um, Iowa obviously certainly had the game plan of stopping him, and they largely did. And I mean, largely, very largely, did he? He did nothing. He was he was he was a non-factor in the game. Yeah, Montgomery had twenty total touches. So I mean, that's not too terrible. You get Montgomery, your best player, twenty touches. Didn't do anything with him though. Seventeen carries for forty-four yards, and he had three catches for fifteen yards. He just he couldn't get anything going. And to go back to the original question of is this the worst offense Oklahoma will face? I'll answer it this way. If it's the same offense that we saw Saturday against Iowa, I think the answer is yes. I think the by far because their offense against the Hawkeyes was atrocious, man. I mean, this, the Cyclones showed zero ability to create any kind of explosive plays. And I kind of mentioned this a moment ago, but if you take away their opening drive when they went down and kicked a field goal, ISU gained just 122 yards the rest of the game, which was good for 2.8 yards per play. But at the same time, though, this is an offense that has a, a, an explosive impact player in David Montgomery, a player that, that UCLA did not have. And it's got, with Kyle Kimpton, it's got an experienced quarterback, something that UCLA did not have as well. And you have Akeem Butler. He's a big, tall target. He's not the same kind of player as Alan Lazard, not even close, really. But he's a guy that can go up and make catches. So 
Iowa State has more pieces, I think, on offense than maybe a UCLA does. But if it's the same kind of offense we saw against Iowa, yeah, this is a bad offense, man. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, they didn't look good, but I mean, you you also have to you know factor in that that was that was basically their first game of the season. Um, you saw the improvement UCLA had from week one to week two. So yeah, you know I'm I let's it, it didn't look good against Iowa. It's you know from on paper and and from what you know we can go off of of what we've seen. O, OU is this looks like another offense they may be able to tee off on. Um, you know, having that been said, I, I you know. They have been quite a bit more aggressive this year, like you know we've asked. But you remember last year on on a couple of those touchdowns that Iowa State scored, Lee, they 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 kind of burned OU on blitzes. They caught OU on you know perfectly in a blitz, yeah, on those mm-hmm. swing passes. And I'm, but also it's 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 hard not to you know factor in also OU has shown you know quite a bit of improvement this year, fighting off blocks, especially on the edge with their corners, um, which obviously could have been a big help last year against Iowa State and. Based off what we saw against Iowa, that's largely what they're going to try to do again, I think, Lee. They're, they're going to try to challenge OU on the edges and make their corners tackle. Grant, the biggest takeaway f- for me in that Iowa State-Iowa game is that the Cyclones' offensive line just is not very good. And at least in that game, it wasn't very good. And we talked about David Montgomery a bit. You know, what happened to David Montgomery? Why why wasn't this electric player who we saw break all these tackles and light up Oklahoma for the most? I guess, you know, I look back at the numbers of last year's game, and David Montgomery actually didn't have that great of numbers. It's just we remember some of his electric plays where he was making people miss and, and creating stuff. In that game against Iowa for Iowa State, he just he had no running room. And, again, he's he's incredibly talented, and usually he's, he's a – player that does a good job of making tacklers miss but even when he made one person miss there was just another Iowa defender there to stop him and most of the time it was more than one tackler so they just he couldn't get anything going I think a lot of it was because of the offensive line pass protection also for Iowa State was very weak I noticed that the center was getting whipped a decent amount of times by Iowa's interior defensive lineman. So I looked into it. The center is Julian Good-Jones. That's his name. And he's actually an honorable mention All-Big 12 player. But last year, he was a guard. Iowa State lost its center to graduation that that played mostly last year. Uh, and, and he was actually the only player on the offensive line for Iowa State that they lost. They returned four starters, so the Cyclones clearly moved Good Jones over to center this year from guard, and he struggled, I thought, against Iowa. So hopefully Neville Gallimore and Amani Bledsoe and the rest of those interior linemen, those big uglies up there, can also take advantage of of this this guy who hasn't played a whole lot of games, hasn't had a whole lot of snaps at center. Yeah, Lee. That's, you noticed that? Yeah, I did. They uh, their offensive line uh, ha- has seen better days. They did not play well against Iowa. In fact, Lee, I'm glad you mentioned it just because uh, I I wanted to mention it when we were talking about their offense earlier. But they also had the look of an offense that their offensive line was certainly dictating some of their play calls. Um, just like with, with one read looks and whatnot, and trying to get the ball out of Kim's hands as fast as possible. They were really struggling to block Iowa. And I know I I know Iowa has has a very well thought of defense of line as well so that could have had a lot to do with it um I, I i did see a couple of you know pretty pretty impressive players in iowa's defensive line but you know honestly you know no better than an amani bledsoe or neville gallimore lee neville gallimore i i went back and watched uh the the game against ucla quite a you know quite a few times neville gallimore was good last saturday he was really good you know i wanted to, i'm glad you brought up the d line because i was listening back to our last podcast 
And you said something that I, I didn't check you on at the time, and I was listening, and I thought I should have mentioned something. And, and I think you said that the defensive line for you really didn't, didn't stand out to you a whole lot. And what I should have said when you mentioned that is that, well, I mean, I'm going to have to challenge you on that because after the game, players like Curtis Bolton and Kenneth Murray specifically just kept going on and on and on about how good the defensive line was playing and taking up blocks that allowed – Murray and Bolton and, and the rest of the defense to run around and make plays. I mean, they just they could not stop talking about how good the D line was playing. So the defensive line, it sounds like, was actually doing their job and was freeing up the other players around them to yeah. fly around and, and make tackles. Yeah, the defensive line played well. I, I think uh and right after the game, you know, analyzing it, I think I was I, I, I my brain was fixated on on two or three plays where you know, or Kenneth Mann or uh, Ronnie Perkins got got beat, whipped thoroughly bad. Uh, but other than that, you know, on the rewatch, the defensive line was very good uh, for for the most part. Just just not being pushed off the line whatsoever, and and really what they said, freeing up, uh, freeing up a lot of lanes, freeing up, you know, uh, for for the linebackers to make plays. Um, Neville Gallimore was the best player on the defensive line uh, when I went back and watched. Like, he was really really good uh, on Saturday, and so if if like I said, if they can get him going. Boom! Hey, I I said him and uh, you know him and Kenneth Murray, the two most important players on the defense this year. So, I did notice also on film, just kind of going more over Iowa State's offense that whenever they would use motion men, whether it would be Montgomery motioning out to the slot or motioning into the backfield, or they would motion somebody from one side of the formation to the other side. More often than not, that person would also be the player that Kemp wanted to throw the football to. So just keep that in mind. If somebody goes in motion, think, okay, maybe this is the player that they're going to try to, to isolate and get a good matchup on. I noticed that as well. Um, Grant, where could Iowa State's offense present problems for Oklahoma? I will, uh, I'll start with this one, and I think your answer will probably be very similar. I, honestly, uh, two ways. David Montgomery, no doubt about it. He's, he's a great running back, one of the best running backs in the nation for my money. And two, very similar to last year, if Iowa State's able to get outside and they go east and west, but Oklahoma's not able to control the sidelines and they're giving up the sideline a lot, like you know how I've mentioned in the past where the corners, for whatever reason, they play more on the inside and they give up the sideline for whatever reason. If they give up the sideline to Iowa State and they're able to get outside and they're able to get up the field more, that's where I think Oklahoma could be hurt by Iowa State's offense because the Cyclones, for the most part, it seems, wants to go east and west, and that's how they beat Oklahoma last year. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't disagree, you know, only also because the, the secondary has missed some tackles this year. You know, they, they, they'll they fly in there like a heat-seeking missile to miss some tackles. Buki has had a little bit of issues with that. Um, but they have shown an improvement getting off of blocks on the edge there. Uh, Lee, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about David Montgomery, and I'm actually worried about Hakeem Butler. Uh, those two guys, I, I, I think if you corral those two guys, it's... It's good night, Irene. Basically, those are the two guys on their offense that scare me. Other than that, um, I, I really hadn't seen flashes from anyone else. Um, I, I, I'd made I'd made the comment to you watching them. Uh, they really miss Marchie Murdoch on the outside, a, a guy, a, kind of a smaller guy, a, a faster, twitchier guy uh, who they can throw you know screens to on the outside. Hakeem Butler is more of a long, fluid athlete, not more of a twitchy, quick guy. And of course, Alan Lazard was not that guy. But they don't seem to have that guy anymore. They they really missed a guy like him against Iowa for sure when they were when they were throwing all of those swing passes. I thought. Marchie Murdoch had a touchdown last year, 
against Oklahoma. A lot of you probably remember that. He only had two catches in the game, but one of them did go for for a touchdown against the Sooners. Defensively for Oklahoma, I know we always like to ask this one as we wrap up the OU defense versus the Iowa State offense. How do you how would you like to see Oklahoma's defense attack this Iowa State offense? I just want to see more of what we've been seeing. I I, I want to see the aggressiveness. Um, yeah, just don't really change much. I I really want to see a lot more of the aggressiveness. And you know what? If you if if you get burned on the aggressiveness from time to time, so be it. Uh, I, I I really just I I want to continue to see um you know tackles for loss. That's that's what I want to see. I I, I want to see this team in the backfield all day long. I'd like to see them play a little more tight on their coverage because of that that offensive line that's lacking because you know if especially if it's Kyle Kempt Kyle Kemp's going to want to get the ball out of his hands and so if you're creating some disruption on and timing of out routes and in routes and curl routes things like that maybe you're gonna get some pass breakups maybe you're gonna get some interception opportunities for Oklahoma so I'd like maybe to see that a little bit and also it's this is kind of unique in a way think back to Florida Atlantic Florida Atlantic had Devin Singletary a very uh, elite level type running back but the rest of their their offense was kind of you know motion trying to to get Oklahoma off balance and uh, in, in thinking and guessing Iowa State's not really that they're more UCLA where they're not going to use a whole lot of motion they're going to play straight up and so it's a little bit of a combination of the two teams Oklahoma has already seen this year in a way so I think it's nice that they have played those other two games against those those offenses and uh, yeah just keep doing what they've been doing so I think whatever game plan they've been using uh, it seems to have been working, so I'm not going to go ahead and say that they should throw throw out everything they're doing and, and reinvent the wheel. Just just keep it up. And also, I it, it'd be nice, you know, guys in the front seven, and also you know, guys in the second day who are going to who are going to come up and be applying pressure. Uh, very important that they keep contain on the edge with David Montgomery there. Very important that uh, absolutely that that was a problem last year. Caleb Kelly lost contain quite a bit on on some crucial third downs. Uh, where yeah. David Montgomery was able to get outside of that. Um, that's something that, that they've, it feels like they've been really good at that this year. It really feel like they've, they've been, they've, uh, they've contained the ball carrier quite a bit this year or done a better job of that. And so um, that Lee and also uh, look for the defensive line to get their hands up a lot, especially with those quick passes. Um, that's that hopefully that's something they see on tape and, and we'll, we'll be looking to exploit. Let's shift over to the Oklahoma offense going up against the Iowa State defense. And at the time, in 2017, when OU played Iowa State, Grant, we had no idea that Iowa State's defense was as good as it ended up being the rest of the year. Sure, Iowa State played pretty well, I think, a week or two before against Texas, and I think only lost to Texas by a touchdown or 10 points. But it's Texas. Texas's offense isn't great. So it wasn't much of a measuring stick. And to be fair, I mean, Iowa State's defense, it didn't really shut Oklahoma down by any stretch of the imagination, but Oklahoma's offense did sputter a couple times in that game. Uh, my question to you is, like, what's the deal with Iowa State having a good defense? Because the Cyclones don't have any blue chip type players. How are they so solid? They just, they're, they're really sound. They play very non-aggressive, sound defense, and that's something you can only do when you have really well-coached players who know where to be, no tendencies and whatnot. Um, and they also have a really solid defensive front. They're, they're three guys on the defensive line uh, very rarely get pushed around. They're, they're, they're scrappy like that, um, and they're really good at filling lanes. I mean, they're well-coached. It's, it's as simple as that. And they have a couple good corners as well. Uh, PV 
is one of them. I think I voted him uh, to the all preseason Big 12 team. And the other guy is uh, escaping me right now. I apologize to him. So the, the corners, you know, it's always good to have really nice corners, obviously. And, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, that front the defensive line. It's a 3-4 defense for the most part against Iowa because Iowa would run a lot of pro-style double tight, and they'd bring a lot of players near the line of scrimmage, so they would go four, four down linemen quite a bit against Iowa. I don't know if we're going to see that much against Oklahoma. Those three down linemen, though, like they are big dudes, and they are good. They get penetration, and they can stop the run very well. Yeah, their nose tackle uh, is good. I just it's 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 really impressive how good they are without the recruiting classes and yeah it's all about discipline you might be thinking to yourself well what about last year you know remember they had Joel Lanning at middle linebacker and man we heard all about Joel Lanning in that OU game because he was playing middle linebacker then he would come in and he'd play quarterback against Oklahoma and he had a little bit of success kind of running basically some sort of a wildcat because he would mostly run the ball as a quarterback but he would throw it a little bit too and there was one drive against OU that Lanning's ability to play quarterback helped I think they scored a touchdown early like in the first half and you know, luckily Iowa State doesn't have that wrinkle this year so Oklahoma won't have to, to play against that so everything though you know landing was so good at, at linebacker you know he converted from quarterback and he was kind of the heart of that defense you know what about this year he's gone well against Iowa to me their true freshman middle linebacker I believe his name is Mike Rose he led the team in tackles and he looked like he was more than ready to fill in now Oklahoma's offense is quite a bit different than an Iowa offense who is pretty vanilla you're going to run the ball a lot and every once in a while you get a play action pass so we'll see how this young true freshman you know handles a, an, an Oklahoma offense but I thought he looked pretty good in the middle did you notice him on tape yeah yeah I thought he looked pretty good um uh, this is going to be a different animal he's facing especially with the Lincoln Riley offense uh he he better not think too much or he's going to be uh he's going to be left behind pretty quick so uh I you know Look, look for Lincoln Riley to go after him pretty hard, uh, just with with uh, with motion, uh, with misdirection. They're going to try to confuse him, and that they're probably going to be successful at least a handful of times. Yeah, I mean, the tables have turned in a way because last season it was Oklahoma who had the true freshman middle linebacker that high-quality offensive coaches could maybe key on and try to get out of position. Now maybe in this game it will be Lincoln Riley and OU that can try to try to confuse a true freshman middle linebacker playing in only a second college game against one of the best offenses in college football. So hopefully that's definitely an advantage for for OU. Do you think uh, the Sooners offense will be a little more prepared for this this Iowa State defensive style this time around? Well, sure, but I mean, it's kind of a misnomer. They they weren't not prepared last time. I mean, they, they went up and down the field on Iowa State and they just turned the ball over. I mean, that's what happened and and, and missed a field goal as well. So I, th- I didn't they they only punted once in that game. They punted once, had a turnover on downs, missed a field goal, turned it over, and the other times they scored touchdowns. The key to that for Iowa State, a big part, yeah. I mean that turnover in the second half when Oklahoma was driving to to try to make it a um, it, it would have been a thirty. It was it was actually you know I had to go back. I thought Oklahoma was up at the time by like two touchdowns. They weren't. They were only up by eight points when that happened. They were only up by one possession. So that would have made it a two-possession game if they would have went in and scored a touchdown. Obviously, the fumble happened, then Iowa State drove right down and scored to tie the game and got the two-point conversion to tie the game. Uh, so my, uh, did, did you like my memory was foggy. I was thinking that the fumble occurred when Oklahoma had a bigger lead 
Did you remember it was only a one possession game? No, I thought they were up by 14 at that time too. So yeah, yeah. When I watched the game back from last year, I remember. I was surprised at how like how actual close it it was. Um, that and and what what really it was too. Iowa State was able to limit Oklahoma possessions in the second half. They were able to hold the ball for quite some time and limit Oklahoma. And when Oklahoma would get the ball, they forced the Sooners to put together long drives that killed a lot of the clock. And that's what that rush three, drop eight kind of philosophy against an Oklahoma offense did. And, of course, that can only work, too, when you have a lead or are in a really close game. Because otherwise, I mean, otherwise, OU could have probably just waited them out and ran the ball, uh, presumably. And, you know, at least that, I mean, that, that's what, you know, that, that's the way to attack. If, if they're going to do the same thing, I mean, you, you, you obviously have to run the ball. The thing is with Iowa State, I remember them last year thinking, like, man, this is a pretty pretty standard defense. They only like to rush three, and they drop eight, and they keep everything in front of you, and they ri- and they rally up and make the tackle. And even in his Monday presser, Lincoln Riley mentioned that he thought that last year's Iowa State team, that defense, tackled better than any other team Oklahoma faced. And he even made sure to mention the TCUs and the Georges in there. I mean, he, he really praised Iowa State's tackling last season. And that's why that defense was so good is because they were able to to be so conservative and kind of drop players, but they would be so smart that whenever a pass was thrown or a play was made, they would pounce and they would not think about it and they'd go up and they'd rally and they'd make tackles and they'd keep everything in front of them. My question or, or my concern, I guess, with this is, you know, Baker Mayfield last year, best college quarterback that we've seen for our money. You know, he showed a ton of patience in that game against Iowa State. And he also, though, pulled the ball down quite a bit when Iowa State was dropping eight into coverage, and he would he would run. So is Kyler Murray going to be disciplined enough and patient enough to have some success against this Iowa State defense? This is the matchup I will be watching all game. What do you think? I think so. I mean, he's shown he, he he's shown an ability already this year to go through his reads. Uh, to go, you know, go through one, two, three, four. I mean, he he wants to stay in the pocket for sure. Um, he is he's certainly shown a willingness to do that. So, I, you know, we'll see. I, I I this game is really interesting, especially to see kind kind of what game plan Iowa State goes with, because you know the rush three drop eight thing is is interesting. Um, and and I I I think that's probably how I would play this OU defense right now, and just kind of. Maybe just kind of pray that you can stop the run with, with three guys up on the line of scrimmage. I, that's really how I think I would play if if I were Iowa State, and I and I know I have that in my back pocket a a disciplined, sound defense. I, I really think well, that's yeah, yeah. I mean that's what worked for the most part last year. I mean how many times in last year's game was was Mayfield hanging back there looking for somebody to throw it to, and had plenty of time. But there were so many players back in coverage for Iowa State that he couldn't find anybody. He'd either have to scramble and throw it away or scramble and be short of the first down. I mean, even the last play of the game on fourth down, he had plenty of time to throw that ball. And finally, at the very last second, he got a little bit of a rush and was forced to make a not a great throw, and the game was over. And remember, too, they, they spied Mayfield a lot, too. Landing spied Mayfield a lot last year. Oh, that's right. That's right. So we'll probably get something similar to that. Might get something similar to that. Maybe maybe a little more difficult to catch the guy running yeah. OU's offense now. But you know we'll see. Um, I yeah I I I expect them to do the same thing with with Kyler Murray. Um, and just kind of 
Because why not? Why why wouldn't you do that? If he scrambles, the the idea is you you rally to the ball and stop him before he gets to the first down marker, which I'm sure they're very confident in their ability to do so. Um, so I I, I got to think Iowa State's main objective in this game is to not let Marquise Brown get behind them. Oh yeah, let yeah. Yes, exactly. They didn't let anybody get behind them last year against OU. And for all of those out there, I know, Grant, you're one of them who are just looking forward to seeing the game or, or seeing, you know, the the electricity of Kyler Murray with the run and, and his legs and showing that side of him. Looking at the box score from a season ago, Baker Mayfield rushed the football 11 times for 57 yards and a touchdown. And I don't even know if any of those were actually designed run plays. I think it may be one or two, but for the most part, all of them were pass plays that he had had nowhere to throw and he had to run around scramble and he had to pick up yardage. So this is a game where if Baker Mayfield carried the football 11 times, how many times is Kyler Murray going to pull it down and, and try to find running room? That's going to be interesting. Yeah, it will be. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, the pace of the game dictates a lot as well. I mean, Lee, what what happens if OU takes the opening kick back for a touchdown, and then, you know, and then Iowa State goes three and out, and then CD Lamb takes a punt back for a touchdown? What do you do then? And that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that, that changes that the special entire team. Just changes the game again. Yeah, and then you know what what happens? I mean, that that changes your entire game plan on offense, presumably. So, let's see. I've got a couple more questions on here, but I think we've covered this this element pretty extensively. I don't know if we need to really go into any more. What do you think? Do you have anything else you want to add before we get to the part where we say where we talk about what we want to see happen? No, I mean it's just uh, Iowa State doesn't really try to fool you on defense, and th- they didn't against Iowa either. I mean it's all they they just try to play sound uh, gap sound defense. That's what they do, and they and they got two pretty good corners that that helps a lot for them. Uh, so. Yeah, they I mean, do have some creative blitzes every once in a while. I mean, sometimes they'll, you know, sometimes they'll blitz all their linebackers. They'll have three down linemen. They'll be in nickel, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll they'll blitz all three linebackers. Drop their drop five into coverage. Sometimes they'll uh, they'll drop some defensive linemen back to kind of confuse it. Um, you know, they'll they'll blitz from the corner a bit from the slot corner. So I mean, they do have some creative ways to blitz you when they want to and I noticed against Iowa they they normally did it on obvious throwing downs I'm looking here I mean second and 12 in the first quarter or second quarter blitz third and 12 blitz I mean they're having success with the blitz too Uh, shocker right you got Stanley at Iowa who who I think made he made two good throws the entire game other than that he is just not a very good throw of the football Um, so yeah I mean they had some success blitzing for the most part Against Iowa, now, again, this is going to be a whole different animal against Oklahoma. So don't – I mean, it's a simple kind of defense, but they do they do kind of make it somewhat creative on the blitzes here and there. So that's something Oklahoma will have to look out for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how, how OU decides to attack the defense because uh, they're – you know, this is the type of defense – where you know OU Lincoln Riley's offense, he he really tries to to confuse your keys, and he really tries to confuse the defense a lot. And this I this Iowa State defense, that's kind of their mo. They they know what they're doing, and they're very sound. So it's 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 going to be a very interesting uh, interesting chess match to watch for sure. All right, Grant, what do you want to see happen in this game? And for those who are listening for the first time, obviously we want to see Oklahoma win, but this is really just like okay, we're watching. Man, I, I want to see this player do that, or I want to see 
this unit do this? Like, what do you want to see happen in this game? Number one, I'd like to see the offensive line rebound from kind of an uneven performance last week. And I want them to, you know, to establish the run. And, and let, let's see what they got behind Rodney. I know we, we know a lot about the guys behind him, but I want to see how they react to Rodney not being there. I want to see how they react uh, to being the guys now. And I think, uh, let, let, let's see how good of a game Trey Sermon has. I, I'm, I'm going to be watching him very closely. And also, Lee, just to, you know, to go over to the defensive side of the ball, I, I, I want to continue seeing... Uh, the the improvement along the defensive line, and I and I want to continue seeing the aggressiveness and, and just all you know the willingness to get into the backfield and make some tackles behind there because I mean it, it it's a big deal, um and it just it, it fires everybody up and they're just they're momentum changers and it's just it's it's the best way to play defense and, and I'm glad we're 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 seeing that here. I share your sentiments about the offensive line. I'm glad you brought that up because if Oklahoma's offensive line bounces back and plays better. This week against Iowa State, uh, this is going to be the best front front. Uh, I don't know if, if it's the best front seven, but probably the best defensive line they'll have faced. I mean, this defensive line is better than UCLA's. It's better than Florida Atlantic. So if Oklahoma's offensive line can play better and open up more running lanes, because this is a tough Iowa State team to run the ball on. I mean, Iowa wants to run the football. Iowa couldn't really run the ball at all last week. I mean, that's what I was built to do. Hawkeyes really couldn't do it. So Oklahoma now without Rodney Anderson will have to find a way to run the football against Iowa State. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I want to see the offensive line play better and open up holes and see if you know some of these lesser-known running backs emerge. Uh, I thought you had some other good ones. Uh, one other one I'll add to that's, that's different from yours. I'd like to see the special teams make another play because when you're playing your first road game, as Oklahoma will be, if Oklahoma can use special teams as a weapon yet again that can maybe take the crowd out of it or give them some momentum, whether it's a, a big big kickoff return, punt return, something, uh, I think that would be incredibly awesome, and that would that would go a long ways to, to Oklahoma not being shocked and, and upset in this game. So I want to see more great special teams play. Hey, maybe it's – Maybe it's something as simple as Austin Seibert. He's asked to come on and kick field goals, and he's able to kick a bunch of field goals uh, whenever Oklahoma's offense stalls and, and the defense plays well. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't want Oklahoma to settle for field goals all day, but uh, you know, if Seibert's got to come on and make some plays and kick a lot of field goals, then hopefully he makes them all. Sure. Actually, screw that. I hate field goals. Get get <laughs> get get rid of all field goals forever. Just don't even attempt them. I, I'm kidding. How about I'm, this? I'm, I'm kidding, of yeah. course, but no, I, I don't want to see field goals. Are you kidding me? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about this? How about a, a special teams play on kickoff team? Like they pin some team deep, they, they pin Iowa State deep, and they're not savvy enough to call for a fair catch or something. And Iowa State starts a drive at the 10 yard line or yeah, something. Yeah. You know, that stuff like that that we saw to Shane Beamer in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that, that would be, that'd be pretty sweet. I, that, would, uh, that would make me very happy. Lee, how about this one? Let's see. I, I would like to see this team continue to be mentally tough on the road. They have not lost a road game since October of 2014. So wow, and and Riley he brought that up. He he talked about how excited they always are to go on the road. They love the challenge. And they that's, love going to somebody I else's ballpark. Love that attitude, and that's that that's that's a cultural thing within the program. And that, that yeah. it's it's great that they have that because I mean because why wouldn't that be fun? That'd be so much fun to go play. It's on always the road. fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at a much lower level uh, in high school, obviously. But I remember every time we play road games in high school football, I I love going on the road. It was awesome to see other other uh, stadiums and other other teams atmospheres and it was so cool to want to go in there and just beat them 
and just shut their fans up. I mean, like you you have to have that that in your DNA as a football team. And I think Oklahoma does have at least they've shown it. What is that? They haven't lost a road game since when? 2014? Yeah, Trevor Knight was the quarterback at TCU. Wow. That was, well, that was, the right, last, that was the last true road game that they lost. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, they lost it against Houston, but that was not a true road contest. It was at NRG Stadium, uh, of course. So we got to the point of the show where, man, we've gone about an hour on OU Iowa State-ish. Time to give our predictions. Grant, what will happen in this game? I believe Oklahoma is currently favored by 17 points. I think they're going to roll. Um, I don't think it's going to be pretty at, at, you know, at, at all times. Iowa State's a good team. They're going to make some plays, specifically on defense. Um, I mean, I, I'm expecting kind of like a, you know, like a 35 to 10, maybe 42 to, you know, 14 type game. Uh, one, one, you know, where where Oklahoma is in control for a lot of it. I, I, I expect a game kind of similar uh, t- to the game last week against UCLA. Very similar. 17 and a half, by the way, is the line. So it sounds like you think OU's going to cover. Yeah, I think they have a really good chance to cover. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I don't know how this team reacts on the road. We'll see. Um, I would say it's not an easy place to play. That place gets loud. You, you and I have both yeah. been there. That place gets really loud. Especially now. I mean, we when we were there, it was years ago, and Iowa State wasn't any good. Now Iowa State, yeah, they're 0-1, but they got confidence. I mean, they ended the season last year on a high note. They yeah they just lost to their their bitter rival but now you got OU coming in and the narrative is going to be OU's trying to get revenge well those fans and that team is going to be thinking nope this is our house we're going to get you again for me this is uh, I've kind of struggled with, with this one I even though I I have downplayed more than a lot of people Rodney Anderson's injury in the last couple of days I do think there's going to be an effect of him not being there I I do think that matters. Being on the road to the first road game is uh, is significant as well. The, it'll be Kyler Murray's first true road start at OU. I'm trying to think back at A and M. He never had a no at A and M. He never played a he never started a true road game when he was at Texas A and M. Grant, it was a long time ago. So I think this is actually Kyler Murray's first ever road start as a college player. Now that I'm kind of racking my brain, Grant, it's it's Iowa State. It's not. He's not in the swamp. He's not at. He's not in Tuscaloosa. This isn't. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Like, this isn't in, in Morgantown. You know, this is not West Virginia. This isn't going to be. I'm trying to think of like you know teams with great atmospheres. But still, I think that's significant. Um, and not having Rodney there is going to be something. Uh, I, Iowa State's defense. I like it so much, and I think offensively they're going to figure something out. I, I think they're going to try to open up the playbook a little bit more. And Oklahoma's defense has been good. Uh, but still, I'm going to play wait-and-see approach on it. I don't think Oklahoma's going to cover this spread, actually. I'm I'm saying it's going to be closer than 17.5. I think Iowa State's going to score 17 points in this game. OU, mm, I'll go, th- uh, let's see, we'll go 31-17. OU wins by... What is that? That's, 14 that's, points? That's two touchdowns. They Okay, yeah. Two touchdowns. We'll go, well, I, I just don't, I'm not as confident in it. You know, maybe, maybe if Oklahoma gets a special teams play, they cover that spread. They get a big special teams play that, that, that gives them an extra touchdown. They bump it up to 38-17 and they cover it. But right now, I'm, I think Oklahoma's going to win the game, but I'm not as confident in, in them as I was last week of, of them covering the spread. And just uh, 
just to clarify, we've done this now. This will be this is week three. I think uh, pick an OU games. I think we're both we're one and one because I I got it right with FAU. I think you got it wrong with FAU. And uh, did you? I think you said UCLA was going to be closer last week. So I think you said UCLA would cover. Yeah, I did. Right? Yeah. So I think we're both one and one, and we're on different sides this time. So we'll see how it plays out. I hope you're right. I hope Oklahoma does win and they cover easily because that means Oklahoma played really well. Yeah, I hope I'm right too. But yeah, I mean this is a this is not an easy game whatsoever. You're going on the road for the first time against, you know, what we think is a good team. We're not sure. I mean, this is not the same team as last year. It's not the same Iowa State team. Teams change, you know, you know, year to year. So we'll see what they got. I mean, we'll I I think we're we're certainly gonna know the answer to the question of is Iowa State a good team after this weekend? For sure. I agree. We have a few Facebook questions that we can address here right now that uh, I, I asked for some help before the show. And we got, a, we got again, we got a few questions. First one from Sydney. And this is a good transition because we just talked about the Oklahoma defense a bit. I've been Sydney says I've been fooled into thinking that the Oklahoma defense is good or has improved before. It seems to happen every year. What's different about this year's defense? I want to be excited about it. But at the same time, this is a feeling that's all too familiar. When will we know what kind of defense this is? Great question, Sydney. I think it's a question that all Sooner fans are wrestling with right now, especially after the last few years. And you think back to last year when after, you know, at this time last year, Grant, after two games, we thought the OU defense was really good after the Ohio State game. Grant, I'll let you tackle this question first. What do you think? I think it's going to be just a, a continue to be a wait and see thing over the course of the season. Um, I, I guess if you really want to look ahead, I, I think the first major test is going to be against Baylor at, at the end of September. Um, you know, they, they have a quarterback that we did not see last year, Charlie Brewer. Uh, they have a receiver we certainly did see with Denzel Mims. Um, I, I think that's that's a team they're probably going to have their way with on the on the offensive side of the ball. But Baylor's got some guys, you know, who who can move the ball. Um, so they also have Jalen Hurd, the old guy from Tennessee. Uh, people forget about him. Uh, he plays tight end, I think, actually. Um, so, he's playing tight end for him, not wide receiver? Yeah, it's like tight end or wide receiver or something like that. I don't know. He, he's, he's supposed to be wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's catching passes. I know that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say then, but let's, you know, let's, let's see how this, how this week goes. Um, like I, I, I think, um, I think if they struggle against Iowa state, that would certainly be a sign that they're an inconsistent defense maybe. Um, but you know, we'll see. And of course they have a, they have a unique test next week coming up against army as well. So it, it's going to, it's going to continue to be a wait and, uh, you know, a wait and see thing. And, and also a, a weird thing as well, the big 12, you know, two weeks into the season looks like it may be a little lighter on, on dynamic offenses than it usually is as you know Mm -hmm. but you know it's 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 about to be week three so of course that can change as the season goes on well i'll address sydney's initial question or his first question because he had two in there and sydney asked what's different about this year's defense and i was looking back at last year's iowa state game ou iowa state and looking at the starters the game participation and you get down there and you get to the the second level, and you see Sam linebacker, Caleb Kelly starting, Kenneth Murray in the middle, Emmanuel Beal at will. And now you move to this year, just at the linebacker spot. Caleb Kelly is he's a backup right now to Will linebacker Curtis Bolton. Kenneth Murray still there in the middle with a year of experience, and then you got Ryan Jones playing Sam, 
whenever Oklahoma's in uh, not in nickel. Okay, so far through two games, that's been a, a, a more promising, prom- yeah, promising linebacker group than last year. And then the the Trump card. You look at the secondary. And three of the four players that started against uh, Iowa State last year are not in this secondary anymore. And you could make the argument that Oklahoma's upgraded at every single one. We'll start with Parnell Motley. Of course, he's still starting. But the other cornerback was Jordan Thomas. He had probably his worst game of the season against Iowa State. Now it's Trey Norwood and Trey Brown in there at cornerback. And, and Motley, all, those, all three of those guys are, are switching in and out. And strong safety. Okay, Stephen Parker was a really good player, great tackler last year, good leader of the defense. But now it's strong safety. Whenever Oklahoma's in their 3-4, it's Buki. And then at free safety, it was Will Johnson last year. And now uh, and at free safety is Khalil Houghton, who did play a lot last year. I mean, but Oklahoma's also been playing more nickel, so it's those four players and then throw in a, a Justin Broyles or a, a Trey Brown when they're when they have five defensive backs on the field I think that's the difference I mean that's the main difference there is that back seven looks vastly improved at least right now compared to what it was last season so I, I think that's what gives that's what should give Oklahoma fans a little bit of excitement when will we know what kind of defense this is still I'm with you on that grant it's still too early to tell and I don't know I think bringing up Baylor is a good point because Baylor I think is going to have a, a good offense this year and and it was the Baylor game last year where we realized okay this defense is pretty darn inconsistent uh, so again it's a wait and see approach um, just uh, do you want to comment on that you know the the starting the starters from last year's Iowa State game and and now isn't that incredibly different yeah you know I mean it's just and also there's there's just a different attitude on defense it seems like there's there's obviously a lot yeah more, that too there's that obviously too. a lot more aggressiveness um they're just rallying to the ball better uh they're just they're, they just seem to be a, a year better a year quicker a year smarter um and I we, we saw it on full display after you know after UCLA scoring drive on Saturday uh the defense was so so good um and I think I, I, I think I let that UCLA scoring drive just kind of taint my thoughts for the rest of the game. But, th- I mean, after that, they were lights out. And the defensive players this week uh, on Tuesday talking, and mainly the secondary players, were they're talking about that culture change and just the hunger of everyone in the secondary and how they challenge each other and how uh, you know make a big play. It's just so contagious out there. And, and everyone just wants to, uh, to feed off each other. And it's not just the secondary, the – the linebackers feel the same way and, and the defensive linemen as well. And talking to Curtis Bolton after the game on Saturday, too, he talks about how, yeah, man, he, like, he'll, he'll see a guy like CeeDee Lamb go up and make a play, like a one-handed catch or a go up and, and bring a touchdown down. And he said it just it light, it, it gets him going. He wants to go out there and light somebody up. It just it, Everybody on both sides of the football, and I know a lot of teams say this, but, I mean, it, it's showing on the field that they're all playing for each other and they're feeding off one another. And that's certainly shown, I think, through the first two games this season. Yeah, they're over to they're playing well. Sorry, go, I was, mm-hmm. yeah. Next question. The next two questions actually are from Philip. Philip asks a question about the offense. It says it looked like the offensive line did not do outstanding against UCLA. Do you have concerns with the offensive line going against Iowa State's front seven? I think we've kind of addressed this a little bit during the show, Philip. I hope we have. Uh, yes, uh, we. You know, I, Grant, you brought up the offensive line and what we want to see happen a, a bit against that Iowa State defensive line, and you want the offensive line to bounce back. Yes, I do have concerns, 
going against Iowa State because again I think Iowa State's defensive line is the best D line that Oklahoma has faced so far I mean again it's early on in the year but I think through three games this will be the best defensive line I have concerns but I have more faith in Oklahoma's offensive line than really a lot of other units so uh, I like to think that Oklahoma's offensive line will play well uh, against Iowa State I, I don't know, know what else really to add to this I don't know if you have anything else to add e- to add to this question either Grant yeah I'll answer it I'll just say yes I yeah sure I'm, <laughs> I'm concerned yeah I, I think not concerned enough to I think where I mean they're I, I don't think they're gonna get dominated by Iowa State's defensive line uh, but yeah I mean I that's they they were uneven at best against UCLA and they they need to rebound they're on the road that's I mean, this this game starts with them. I mean, if the if, if the offensive line can play well, you can pretty much put this one to bed right away, and because that's that's really what's most important on the road. If you can get your running game going from the outset, and that's going to start with the offensive line, uh, you know, that's it. Put this game to bed. And when you say if the offensive line can play well, I think the main point is if they can play well and allow Oklahoma to run the football. Because I think you mentioned last show that the offensive line in pass protection last week against UCLA was very good, and Kyler Murray had plenty of time to throw. I think pass pro is going to be good again this week because Iowa State likes to drop so many players. And then it's up to Kyler Murray to pick and choose where he wants to throw or not throw and not make mistakes. So basically, I, yeah, it's can they run the football? That that will be how you grade the offensive line, I think, this week. For sure. And finally, Philip asks, after two games, do you see a major difference at all between Jonathan Alvarez and Creed Humphrey? Who do you have more confidence in going into week three? So I will answer this question, and I'll go straight to the source. Lincoln Riley mentioned on Friday, on Friday, on Monday during his presser, that he said that Creed Humphrey graded out well in his first start. And so, if Creed Humphrey graded out well, and if Creed, hum- excuse me, and if Creed Humphrey, you know, was playing well enough in practice to get that start over Alvarez against UCLA, uh, I suppose Creed Humphrey's the guy right now, unless they're trying something where they're going to give both players a chance, and it was just Creed Humphrey's time, and Alvarez started the first game. I mean, I guess we'll find out against Iowa State, but um, right now, I to me, it's a wash. I mean, think about all throughout August, every time Riley was asked about the center position, he kind of glowed. He always smiled and said, that's a great, great competition right there between Creed and Jonathan, and they both played now, and, and I haven't really seen much of a difference between the two of them. I think the offensive lines look pretty darn good for the most part, for two games. Grant, do you see a difference between the two? No, I I mean, going back, I didn't really notice much of Creed Humphrey, good or bad. Um, And Alvarez was was fine when he was in there as well. So I I still don't really see much difference between the two. Um, My thoughts haven't changed much from FAU. I'll I'll continue to watch it. But, um, yeah, we'll we'll see who gets the start because Riley didn't come out and straight up say who's going to start in that game. So we'll, we'll see. All right, that's the Oklahoma-Iowa State preview talk. We hope you enjoyed that. If you want to stick around and listen to us talk about the Big 12 and college football as a whole, we invite you to do so. We're going to start with the Big 12 right now. Let's go over the games to watch in Week 3. And we'll begin with a 2.30 kickoff on Saturday. Boise State at Oklahoma State. The Cowboys playing It's their first big game of the season. Uh, right now it's a 2.5 point spread in favor of Oklahoma State let's wait to talk about this game later Grant we're going to save this for our picks against the spread Uh, Duke is at Baylor and uh, both those teams I think are 2-0 right now that's interesting I have not seen Baylor play at all yet Grant have have you watched any of the Bears play uh no not not really me neither okay well not much to go on there we'll see how that game plays out because I think Duke's defense actually is pretty good 
Yeah, I, all I know is that Duke is, I don't know, Duke is like 31st in S&P. Baylor's in the 60s. I'm not sure. I mean, it's still early, so you can't really take enough, you know, take a ton from that. I will see. I, I think Duke has some suspensions or some injuries as well, some significant ones. Um, so that obviously, you know, could play a factor as well. Another one, 315 kickoff Saturday, Houston, a one-point favorite at Texas Tech. And I guess Houston's playing some good football through the first two weeks of the season. Texas Tech gave up like a million points to Ole Miss in week one, and then I think like basically pitched a shutout, I think, against an FCS team last week. I didn't really watch much of that Tech-Ole Miss game, so I don't really have a feeling on this game yet. I feel like before I pick this one later, I need to go back and watch more Texas Tech and Houston. Have you seen much of those two teams yet? Mm, I watched a bit of the, the Houston-Arizona game uh, from last week. or from two, Yeah, it was from last week. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if Houston is really good or if Arizona is just really bad, to be honest with you. Um, okay. I, I'm, this yeah, is man. this was an interesting one. I think Texas Tech was originally the favorite in this game, and then the the line swung hard to Houston because the money came in on them. Um, so I don't know. That that sounds like a game where the sharps kind of feel like they they know something someone else doesn't. If uh, if Texas Tech started out as the favorite, man. Speaking of uh, teams in Texas, just kind of a quick sidebar. I watched that A and M Clemson game and. Kellen Mond, the quarterback for Texas A&M, looked like a different player. And, I mean, A&M could have easily won that football game. And that offense looked really good going against one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, I think we're all learning here this offseason. Texas A&M, huge winners in the Jimbo Fisher news because, one, you get Jimbo Fisher from Florida State. Florida State gets Willie Taggart. Florida State's a mess right now. They, They were tested by Samford last week. And then A&M moving on from Kevin Sumlin finally. And Kevin Sumlin looks like he's over his head at Arizona, 0-2. And they might be a bad football team. And he might he might now be just a bad football coach. I mean, A&M is good for the Aggies. I mean, they look like they're doing really well right now. I'm not going to throw a parade for Texas A&M because they lost to Clemson by two. We'll, we'll, we'll see what they can do under Jimbo Fisher. That's the thing. It's like. The whole culture there, it's like, oh, it's Texas A&M. They're probably going to fall back and do what Texas A&M always does. But A&M hasn't had a coach like Jimbo Fisher, though. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm just I'm just So that's like a, the one wild card. I'm taking a wait-and-see approach. I said that when they hired Jimbo Fisher, that was a good hire. Uh, but, you know, Texas A&M, it seems like they got some weird stuff they got to overcome, like yeah. personally with, the, like, a lot of the people in that program. There's there, seriously, I mean, there, there, there's something weird with that with that program until I see it totally vanquished. I'm, I'm still it's still going to be, you know, in the back of my head. So we'll we'll see we'll we'll see That's what fair. they can do. And like, let's let's not let's let's not go, you know, crazy about Clemson. Their their defense is obviously really good. They got some good players. Their offense is pretty freaking limited. So let's well, let's, their offense was actually like their bright spot. On Saturday, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I mean, that was that was one of the best games I've seen Kelly Bryant play. Yeah, I know they 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 struggle to run the ball with their running backs. So you know, yeah, I'm, they do. You know, I do. I don't, and also Kelly Bryant is is not you know it still struggles to complete forward passes. Didn't see a ton of Trevor Lawrence in that game. Um, he played the first half, yeah, and I think he played a series or two in the second half, mm-hmm. and then it was all Kelly Bryant from there. We'll on. see. See, I mean, uh, Clemson still needs to prove that they can, you know, that they can have a dynamic offense without Deshaun Watson because they haven't proven that yet. Agreed. Uh, probably the biggest game of the week: Ohio State against TCU at Jerry's World. That's a seven o'clock kickoff. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to actually save this for the picks, Grant. So. 
Uh, I have Ohio State as a 13-point favorite. I don't know if that's changed at all. Let me just check real fast if it's updated. Uh, God, where's the game? Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so, so yeah, Ohio State's big favorite in this one. I've, you know, I'm not very high on TCU. They were trailing SMU and then by like almost a touch or like I think nine points last Friday night. And then TCU stormed back and ended up covering. Thank you, Horn Frogs. I I mean, I'm leaning towards Ohio State in this one just because I think it's good. There's an out talent TCU. And I, I think TCU and their their quarterback Robinson, I believe is his name. He's not very good. I think they're going to be exposed. I think the only chance TCU has is they have karma on their side because Ohio State's got weird karma right now with all the Urban Meyer stuff. He still won't be coaching, but I think that still hangs over them. What are your thoughts on this game? I like Ohio State by a significant amount. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I just think Ohio State is incredibly good. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, and, and also I don't think it's going to be much of a of a home field advantage for TCU. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. Me if neither. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more Ohio State fans there actually. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm with you, and and one more big time Big Twelve game USC at Texas. We're going to save this one for later when we do our picks. Uh, of note, though, West Virginia at NC State, which is going to be a pretty intriguing matchup, is canceled because of the hurricane. So that's a bummer. Uh, uh, I was looking forward to watching more Will Greer against a, a better defense. So as was I. I too bad. Too bad. Too bad. I mean, I guess that kind of helps West Virginia though, because that gives them a chance to not get knocked off on the road by a, a good team and that keeps them undefeated so i suppose as far as like for like national title thoughts i mean that in a way it, it could help and hurt i mean they don't get a they don't get a loss but i guess it, they can't really boost their resume they can't get a win on the road against a power five team either yeah yeah true so that's the big 12 now to our uh, newest segment that we added last week it's called cross them off and last week, I crossed off Notre Dame and Michigan. And what I mean by that is that when you cross a team off, they don't have a serious chance of winning the national championship. Just cross them off. Grant, I can't remember. Did you officially cross anybody off last week? Because you named some teams, but I don't know if you were officially crossing them off. Yeah, I think I officially crossed off Washington. All right, so I'm going to add Washington to the list. So Washington's crossed off. Yeah, and then I also, uh, this week I'll just get it started. I, I will join you and officially cross off Notre Dame as well. Okay, so you're crossing off Notre Dame. Yeah, they, had a, they struggle with Ball State, correct? Uh, yeah, and I'm just... I, Did this you watch is, it? Uh, I didn't watch it. I, I just saw some of the highlights. I just, um, I, I'm just going to stick with my principles here. I, I crossed off Washington because no team is going to win a national championship with Jake Browning as their quarterback. And that logic uh, applies as well to Brandon Wimbush and Notre Dame. So they, they just they have no chance. <laughs> All right. I actually do not have anybody to cross off this week. I will admit I have not watched as much college football back as I would have liked. So I haven't seen a lot of the games uh, with the exception of that A&M Clemson game. And I guess technically I could we could cross off Michigan State, but I don't know if that that's not one, really a team that anybody thought they was going to be a you're, national you're, title Remember my criteria? I had like those eight teams, and then you know I maybe thought of Notre Dame as well, uh, because everyone else there's there's going into the season there was eight teams that had a chance, and sure, and Michigan State in my mind was firmly outside of that eight. Well, also too, if we get deeper into the season, you know, four, five, six games, and there's a a team that wasn't on your initial list, but let's say they're still unbeaten and they're climbing up the polls, those teams count as well. Yeah, I, I mean, res can yeah sure I reserve the right to change my mind. Like I think. Uh, 
but you know, really of, of any of the teams left, I think, you know, the only teams maybe with the capability of jumping into that top eight is maybe like Penn State, maybe. Was Stanford in your list? No, no, I still think that I no. The the Pac twelve is 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 not a good uh football conference this season, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, so we're going to cross Grant's going to cross off Notre Dame this week. I don't cross uh, anybody off this week. And so officially now, going into week 3 of the college football season, I have crossed off Notre Dame and Michigan. Grant, what's well, so you're not going to cross off Michigan yet, Grant? Michigan's not part of the group. I don't, I don't really think they're no, nah, they're done. Like I I don't I I never seriously considered them in the first place. Oh, well, I mean, but they were getting a lot of national championship hype though by the media and fans and stuff. So they are part of the group. That's that's part of the criteria as well. Is is teams that for whatever reason Actually, you know have what? lots of hype behind. Delete them. that. I'm not ready to cross off Michigan yet. I'm not ready. Oh, so wow. Okay. I saw. I, you said Grant said delete that because we have the rundown here. We can both see it. And I typed in Michigan. I saw an I, I saw an OU team that ended up playing in the playoff lose to uh, lose to Texas that one year. A really bad Texas team. So you know what? Come on. I, I I'm not. I, I Michigan still got some good players, and you know they they rebounded nicely from the Notre Dame game, even though they were playing a you know a Maction team. But <laughs> wait, so your principles of bad quarterback play doesn't extend to Michigan and Shea Patterson? No, because Jim Harbaugh. No, because Shea Patterson has put some good you know s- some good football on tape. He's he's had some good games in college. All right. But even with the Jim Harbaugh offense, though, I mean, he didn't look very good against Notre Dame. I'm, I'm, you know, what? I, I reserve the right to change okay. my mind and, and judge as the season goes on. Fair enough. Finally, let's make our picks against the spread. We do it every week. We have five games to pick from. Last year, we just picked winners. That's boring. This year, since the Supreme Court said it's okay to go state by state with legalized sports betting we're going to pick against the spread because that's a lot more difficult and a lot more fun last week grant you beat me again i was two and three grant you were three and two overall i'm four and six and grant you are six and four overall so i'm not doing very well at all picking against the spread the first game on here i think uh i mean i want to make sure i update the spread because i think it's changed now it's a it's a team in the ACC playing. Look at this suspense. All the suspense. What game are you talking about? Oh, nope, it's the same. Okay. So the first game, and I think you and I are both going to be on the same side here, and it almost seems too easy, Grant. 11 a.m. kick, the fighting Willie Taggarts, Florida State, laying three points on the road at Syracuse. So Syracuse is catching three at home against Florida State. I will gladly take the orange plus three. Grant, what say you? I'll take Florida State. Oh, all right. So you're going to, what you're doing here is that you're thinking that, all right, a lot of people are down on Florida State. They looked very bad against Vatek. They looked very underwhelming against Samford. Now they're only laying three. They have more talent than Syracuse. You're going to back Florida State and that talent only having to lay a field goal on the road. Is that your thought process? That's the thought process, yeah, Lee. And also, it's more of just uh, like, I mean, Florida State might be a dumpster fire right now, but I mean, they're playing Syracuse, which is arguably, you know, the same you know type of dumpster fire. It's Syracuse. Um, and this is obviously this is obviously a line in which the bookies want or the bookies Vegas want want money to come in on Syracuse. Um, I, I'm, you know. I have a feeling that the entire betting public is probably going to go to Syracuse, so I'll go to Florida State. 
All right, so you're 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 pulling the the classic pros versus Joes. All the Joes are on Syracuse. You're going to go with the pros. You're going to go on Florida State. I like the fact that Syracuse has a seasoned quarterback, and I think it's Eric Dungy, and they've scored more than 55 points in their first two games. I think Florida State's defense isn't very good. And I like the fact that Syracuse is at home. So I like them catching those four points. Next game. LSU, number 12. Number 12. Is that correct? LSU's the 12th ranked team in the country? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Uh, I, I actually never went back and watched that LSU-Miami game from week one. So I still don't even know what LSU looks like. I need to watch that game. Or maybe I don't. I don't know. It seemed like it was pretty ugly. LSU at 7th ranked Auburn. And I got Auburn here listed as a 10-point favorite. I heard it was 9.5, so maybe it's changed. And if you're not a big better and gambler, you don't know much about it, you think, oh, what's the difference? 10, a half, 10, and a half, uh, 10 points and 9.5? Well, I mean, if you're going to take the, the favorite, wouldn't you rather have to only lay 9.5 points as opposed to 10 points? You know, it, it makes a difference, so I'm going to double-check. It's actually now Auburn minus 10.5. So a lot of money coming in on Auburn, Grant. I'll let you make the first pick here. God, the lines this week are really difficult. Like I just yeah, they this, they are they are. This line is tough, man. Um, yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this one all day. I think my my gut. That's why I put this one in here. My gut originally said Auburn, but I I that's a lot of points for a really good LSU defense. Uh, but LSU's, know, right? LSU's offense is just is hot garbage. <laughs> uh, I, I mean they they could they could get shut out at Auburn. I'm gonna yeah, go. It's with, tough. I'm gonna go with Auburn just because you know I'm gonna just because I, I just I, LSU is so pitiful on offense. They're I mean they were terrible on offense against Miami. So like let's. Uh, that's tough. That's really tough. And Miami just doesn't have really much of the ability to score yeah. like Auburn does. I mean we both think Auburn's offense is just gimmicky and hard to watch but for the most part it does have more success than let's say a Miami offense yeah I'll so, I'll, I'll go uh, with Auburn I guess I, I'll, I'll yeah. reluctantly go with Auburn you'll lean it's so like we're gonna like the, the gambling podcast I like to listen to it's called RJ it's like if you watch Colin Cowherd and those guys you know he has RJ Bell on a bit it's the dream preview I like those guys they always like to do do you like it do you like a team or do you lean lean some way and so i think both of us are going to lean we're going to lean auburn because we're forcing each other to make a pick i'm going to lean auburn as well laying 10 and a half uh i like the fact that auburn usually plays incredibly well at home and the fact that auburn lost to lsu a season ago in a game that auburn probably shouldn't have lost i think there's gonna be some revenge factor there as well and yeah that that hot garbage lsu offense with joe burrow at quarterback i think auburn's defense is very good so I, I will reluctantly lay the 10 and a half and lean Auburn. The next one, we briefly mentioned this game earlier, but it's a Big 12 game. That's why we saved it for now. Boise State at Oklahoma State. I saw the line. I think it might have opened at three and a half or three in favor of Oklahoma State. Now it's down to Cowboys minus two and a half points. You made the first pick on the last one, Grant. I like Boise State plus two. Well, actually, I got. I talked to a friend and that has the ability to do this. I told a friend to grab Boise State plus three a couple of days ago, actually. So I already have a ticket on Boise State plus three, where it's legal. And uh, even though, though, even with 
you know, a half a point gone at two and a half. I will still take Boise State. I like Boise State to win this game outright, actually. What do you think? Yeah, I do, too. I like Boise State to win outright by double digits, actually. I will say, though, I am a bit hesitant after watching back the OSU game against South Alabama. Taylor Cornelius, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, I think made a big jump from week one to week two. I think he looked a lot more comfortable, had a lot more zip on his passes, and it was a lot more... Uh, decisive with his with his reads and his throws he had two picks but they really weren't that bad of picks honestly and they came when the game was out of hand and matter really anymore so taylor cornelius is actually improving from week one to week two kind of surprised me so that made me a little more uneasy but he hasn't faced a, a good team yet and you can make the argument that boise state hasn't really either they faced troy who's the best team they've played who's okay and they faced yukon who's who's terrible both these offenses are they're two of the best offenses in college football right now, you know, points-wise, yards per play-wise. This could be a shootout. I like Boise State, though, and so do you. Next game up, we have two left. I think that's the first. No, okay, we were both on Auburn, too. So we, we disagree on Syracuse and Florida State, but the other two games we were on the same side. USC at Texas, the Horns laying three and a half at home. This is a tough one for me, Grant. I don't. I'll let you go first here with this one because I, I don't know what to, to take. I think maybe USC's quarterback, JT Daniels, might be out, though. Have you heard of, about this at all? Uh, I don't know. Like, that, that might be good for USC. He was horrendous against Stanford. Was he? He actually looked – he showed some flashes in the first game against UNLV, I thought. He looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. But against Stanford, he didn't look good, though? No, and you, you just go look at his numbers, too. They were just pitiful. Um, okay. I, I'm actually – I'm going to lean Texas here, Lee. I lean Texas. Uh, so I'm I, like obviously I'm taking Texas, but I'm not I, I don't feel incredibly strongly about it. And this is this is more of just how I feel about USC than anything. Man, I I don't like either one of these teams. And you know normally when that happens, I think okay, let's go to the coaching matchup. And you got Tom Herman, who I like Tom Herman, but I'm I'm liking him less and less as time goes by because. It just seems like Texas is the same. It's Texas. and Because he kind of seems like a clown. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, the team's not getting any better, really. It's just they, he's an offensive guy, and their offense is bad. I, it's the same thing I, I, I complain about with Jim Harbaugh. It's like when you're an offensive guy and your offense is bad, that's not good. <laughs> like The thing that you're supposed to be good at, uh, it, that, that, should be, that should not be an issue. It's like if Oklahoma. It's like if Oklahoma's offense was bad. And like Lincoln Riley's an offensive genius, like that would be a huge red flag, <laughs> a massive red flag. But Oklahoma's offense is awesome. Um, I that extra half points. I'm, I'm going to lean Texas as well, laying the points because they're at home. And I just don't buy Clay Helton when he does not have Sam Darnold at quarterback. When Sam Darnold's not his quarterback, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think they're very good. I think he's been like maybe seven or eight games that Helton's coach at USC without Sam Darnold, and he's below 500. So I'll go with I'll go with Texas at home, laying the three and a half. So we're both on the same side there, and I'm more of a lean as well. I don't I don't like Texas. I, I'll I'll lean that way. I think this last game could be interesting, and actually maybe not because I know how you feel about Washington. It's a nine o'clock kickoff, tenth ranked Washington on the road at Utah. Utah as is a home dog in this one, catching six and a half points and I have gone back and forth on this one Grant but my initial thought my initial gut is Washington laying the six and a half 
I think they should have beaten Auburn. They had a, a an easy kind of cupcake layup game last week, so they're going to prepare for Utah. I guess Utah's got a pretty tough home field advantage, and it was a it was a really tight game a season ago at Washington. But my gut was telling me Washington minus six and a half. I'm going to stick with it and not change. I have a feeling that you're going to be on Utah, though, Grant. What do you think? Yeah, I'm on Utah. Uh, head is saying Washington, gut saying Utah. So sometimes you just got to go with your gut. Um, yeah, I just you know I. Jake Browning is just so blah, and he's on the road. So, I mean, if, if, <laughs> if, if I'm getting six and a half points, and, and Utah's, you know, Utah's a really underrated, solid program. I'm going to take Utah, All, you know, although conceding that Washington, you know, could, could obviously win, I think, win this game by double digits. But I just, ugh, Jake Browning is just, blah, you know? Jake Browning is, he's not... A, a flashy player but i mean you're making it seem like he's kind of in the same realm as like a malik rogier and yeah a no he's he's not he's not that bad he's just like he he's a guy who puts up numbers but he's just like kind. they're kind of like they're empty numbers i'm trying I, i'm i'm just i'm furiously trying to think of of, <sighs> of someone to compare him to i like his accuracy i like that he can actually complete balls with some accuracy that's why like, again like he Man, he he was able to hang in the pocket against Auburn a lot in that game. I don't, I don't know if he ever ever had a chance to go back and watch that game, but I mean, that was a it was a toss up game. I mean, I think Washington lost that game more than Auburn won it in the end. And uh, I'm just kind of kind of roll that that thought process into this game. Uh, I will say though, just to make you feel better, the the podcast I was listening to about you know, about bets, two of the guys. Uh, one guy liked Utah plus six and a half, and one of the other guys made Utah plus six and a half his best bet of the week. So uh, they're on Utah. So I think I think the sharps are on Utah. I think I'm I'm on the uh, I'm on the Joe side with Washington. So I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but uh, it, it, I don't it know. This like, is this is a yeah. tough week. I I was I was going through the lines trying to see. What, I mean, this is this is really tough week. There's some really tough lines in there this week. I feel like Vegas kind of nailed it with their lines this week that's what they're trying to do so they want you i know we've got incredible go ahead no I, I got nothing more it was just more word salad for me <laughs> i know we've got incredibly long i want to bring bring up one more thing because you brought up the lines being difficult i i thought long and hard about putting miami at toledo in this pick'em game toledo catching 10 and a half at home against miami and of course, Toledo's a team that put up like a bajillion points last year. I thought long and hard about that, but then I realized that Toledo lost its starting quarterback from last year, Logan Whiteside. And so I thought, eh, Miami going against a new quarterback, that defense will probably, I think that defense is still probably pretty good, right? So that might be kind of a dumb one. I think Miami might, might easily cover that 10 and a half. I mean, do you have any instant thoughts on Toledo? catching 10 and a half at home against Miami. That was another one I really thought hard about. Jason Candle at Toledo is kind of one of the more up and comer uh, coaches there. He's kind of built, you know, he's built just a really nice program. I don't know. Yeah, that that really does probably seem like a game where Miami can probably just show up and physically dominate them. Um but no, I I, I certainly thought about it. Um but yeah, that that's an interesting game for sure. I'm sure all of the Maction enthusiasts are going to be all over that game. All right, Grant, that's it for today. Uh, everyone out there, thanks for listening. Enjoy OU at Iowa State. We'll have plenty of reaction to this game on Monday, as usual. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.